Hello and welcome to Reef Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've been to see The Equaliser 3. The third and, I read, final, apparently, instalment of what is going to be an Equaliser trilogy. Ah, why final? I don't know. I don't know, because they could make more, although this does have a feeling of ending in some respects. You know, it's about a man having found his place. Sure, his happy place. Um, And his people. We we (laughs) saw, well, we've both seen both of them, but we saw the second one on the podcast. And we really liked it. Um, one of the, I was listening back to that podcast, and one of the things that I, we were both saying about it was that we were surprised by the kind of gradual feel that it had. The first one, I think, it's one since I watched it, came out in 2014. The first one, I think, felt much more action-oriented. The second one went into this, into this contemplative mode. Um, and I think that continues here. Um, I thought the first was contemplative. Was it? I don't remember yeah. very well. So I mean, I forget whether it's on Prime or Amazon, but anyway, so one of those two for free. So uh, I watched the first hour again, just you know, yesterday or before yesterday, because we were seeing it today. And actually, I was surprised at how contemplative it is. Yeah, and the, how the much fir- I, I liked it. The first one. The first one. Right. You know, it's very dark. It starts as a whole series of relationships. It's very mournful. You get the sense that the Denzel Washington character is just full of loss and lonely yeah. and also kind of niceness, helping people around him. Yeah. There's a big thing about how he lost his wife and he's reading all these books That's right. on his list for her. And he, you know, he meets this girl at a bar that he develops affection for. And basically you feel that the Soviet or the Russian mafia draws him into things he doesn't want to do anymore, mm. right? Right. So, but it, but it has like wonderful action, but the whole feel of it is one of character and relationships mm. and, and, and quite lonely and sad. Yeah. yeah. So it shared that feeling then, because that's certainly, I remember the second film much better and mm. that's certainly what that had. Um, the other thing that I remember distinctly about the second film, and again, we talked about this on the podcast, was the sense of community that it had. And you've alluded mm. to some of that in the first mm. film as well. Um, the second one had a, a real thing about community organising almost. I mean, not to quite like an official level, but it, it, had the, it was about that can-do attitude and we're going to fix things ourselves. And it was about improvement as well. You know, it wasn't just about, you know, I get on with the people next door, but it was about we're going to do things together and improve our neighbourhood together. Mm. Um, and improve our lives together, you know, get an education, all that kind of stuff. This one certainly continues the feeling of community, but here it is much more in the I get on with my neighbours kind of way and everyone living together harmoniously um, in this uh, small town in Italy, which is called Altamonte. It's um, a fictional town. It's on the... Uh, it's, I mean, it's one of these beautiful locations. It's on the, the Amalfi, Amalfi Coast. Coast, yeah. They filmed on the Amalfi Coast, yeah. And it's one of these incredible locations that, that Italy has where a town is built into coastal cliffs. Mm. Um, it's amazing. And actually, I think... I, I love the way Antoine Fuqua, the director's films, look, usually. Here, I think the colour grade doesn't show the location off as well as it could. It felt very dim to me. It felt dim really and dull. Again. Yeah, that could be the projector not having enough power maybe but it, it, uh, it felt like the grade as well though you know it could have been enriched with the kind of oranges and, and that kind of thing one of the sad things about cinema going now i found is that you go to the cinema and often you get this dimness 
that actually you don't get when you're watching it on TV. That you watch it on your TV and it seems much better shot than when you saw it at the cinema. And I think it purely has to do with the lumens or whatever it's called, the power mm. of the projector, really, that, you know, it feels kind of, you know, your TV feels much more powerful than what you're getting at the cinema, which, you know, is something they better fix if, if people are going to continue Yeah, that going. certainly can be the case. And also, I think it can also be the, um, uh, I think it can also be the reflective property of the screen. You know, you sometimes find they'll install a new screen because the, the one's getting dull and old and a new screen brightens things up. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Um, I'm not sure that specifically w- was the issue here, though. I think there is, there's, there's a visual design that is, that is dull. I thought it was interesting to contrast the opening sequences, which just felt too grey, actually. Yeah. And then the street scenes through, I think, Naples at the end, which seems to have like these lush ambers and blues and yeah. the darkness. Like right? the, basically, the, the, that was available to the film. It yeah. just wasn't doing it for a very long time. And I think that's an issue. I should just briefly say to anyone who doesn't know The Equalizer, kind of what the premise is, this guy, Robert McCall, I think his name is, was a government assassin for a very long time. And then he got out of that game. Um, but he, as you say in the first film, is drawn back into it. And at the end of the first film, he decides that having done this kind of vengeance, avenged for someone, um, he, I think, advertises himself. to. It's like the A-team sort of thing, right? It goes in the paper, and if you can find me, then you can hire the equaliser, mm. and I will sort out right from wrong. Um, the film, This film begins with... Uh, a trail of murder that has been wrought through a Sicilian um, kind of villa. And we, I mean, it's a great single take that takes you through this. It's wonderful. Through this trail of, of, of murder. And we get to Robert McCall, Dental Washington, um, sat in a dramatic, you know, kind of dramatically lit from behind in a wine cellar, um, about to complete his equalization. He's there to take something back that this person stole from someone. We don't know what that is. The film might get into it later. Um, that's how the film opens up. Like, we, we, we're seeing the results of what he can do. And having seen the first two films, we know perfectly well what he can do. He is an incredibly good um, murderer, <laughs> uh, assassin. He, he moves efficiently. It's interesting, actually. I was thinking about... Do you remember um, Rambo Last Blood? Right. Uh, it was Sylvester Stallone's last, hopefully, Rambo film because it was awful, it was horrible. But we talked about the action in that, and Sylvester Stallone was in his seventies at that point, maybe his eighties, very old. And the action had been adapted to his ability to move mm. clearly. So instead of kind of long scenes where he was doing an awful lot, he was ambushing people. Things happened very quickly and snappily and very violently. And he was also setting traps and a trap would capture someone and then he'd come in and finish them off. But it was quite, basically, it, it was action for someone who couldn't move the way they used to. Sure. And it made sense. I wonder whether that might be an issue, because Denzel Washington must be in his mid to late 60s. At least, yes. Um, I wonder whether there's an element of that going on with the equaliser. But if it is, the film is covering it up extremely well. Because the way in which he moves quickly comes across as efficiency. The man is extremely good at it's, what he does. It's he the only way does it's what filmed. he needs to. It's the way it's filmed. You don't get any extended long takes of action either. Mm. It's all done interestingly through effect. Right? So you have a movement and then you see something. Or yeah. you never see Denzel uh, 
complete a movement. But the idea is that it's bursts of violence that take people by surprise and achieve their results extremely quickly. Sure. So it speaks to the character as well. Yeah. I I would have liked to have seen more of it, actually, because, Hmm. you know, um, I think that is a catering to Denzel. But just in terms of the comparison that you brought up with Sylvester Stallone, Hmm. I like Sylvester Stallone, but I see him now, and it kind of makes me sad, yeah? (laughs) He's had, like, 55,000 facelifts, and, you know, so he's kind of like an appealing character, but actually the sight of his face is a source of sorrow, yeah? (laughs) That he buys into all of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually the thing about Denzel is he's completely lost his looks, but he hasn't lost his attraction. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's something very appealing about him. He conveys the character and then he smiles or something. And I feel I love him just the same, right? Like, whereas the sight of Stallone's face makes me sad. Yeah, Denzel has um, a dignity about him. And about the character he portrays, yes, um, that that has not been lost, and is maybe even accentuated by his advancing years. And and when and as you say, when that smile comes in, which it it, it takes a while to, but he breaks into that smile. It's the Denzel smile. You really sure. recognise it, you know. Yeah, it's a powerful and, thing. Yeah, it really is. So the rest of the setup to the film is that having committed all these murders, done this vengeance at the start, um, he receives a, a, a bullet to the back um, from the the grandson, I assume, of the man he killed, um, which means he can't just make his escape and go back to America. Having gone back to the Italian mainland, he is found, passed out and half dying in his car by a carabinieri uh, who takes him to Altamonte. And he is healed there uh, by a kindly doctor. The policeman clearly knows that Something is shady about this figure, but he says, I didn't look in your bags. I don't want any trouble in this town. Everyone here is nice. Mm. And as he spends time recuperating, Denzel Washington, with character Robert, begins to fall in love with the place. He starts to think, this is where I need to be. The place and the people. Exactly, the place and the people. And the place is the people. And this is where I need to be, Mm. he says. But um, you also see um, mob violence, mafia violence in particular, the the, um, Camorra. Yes. Crime family is. I mean, I think you can probably guess early on it's going to be the Kamaras, but at the start it's a gang. Mm. Um, they uh, are shaking people down for payments and robbing they revel in the. I mean, I think for me what's interesting about the film yeah. is that the first half of it, he's paralyzed. He cannot do the actions that he normally does, mm. right? So it's very much about laying out a place and people and relationships to people and the threats to that place and those people, right? So I think that's kind of like very well done because that's the first half of the film for sure. Yeah, so the scene where... With him very vulnerable. Yes, yeah. Although also kind of, he's constantly knowing, you know, he's seeing what's going on, he's understanding it, and he's never vulnerable to the point where you think he will be uh, made a victim in this. Sure. Um, He maintains a kind of, uh, kind of internal power at least. Um, but he's also kind of not getting himself involved before he's physically capable of doing so. The scene where the mob go to the restaurant to threaten the police officer a second time, the police officer who saved Denzel, um, is the first time he properly interacts with them because then Robert's there, he shows up and he, and he engages with the leader uh, of this gang. And it erupts into a small degree of violence. You know, he, he's able to 
physically get one over on this guy by grabbing his wrist, applying pressure to a nerve, and he's talking him through how he's making him feel pain and so mm, on. That's very exciting. In, in a very movieish way. That's an hour, right? It's an hour before the film does that. And there has been a little bit of action here and there, but it's but it's it's not been involving Denzel. Mm. Um the film has been it's been a thoroughly absorbing hour up until this point of learning about this town, watching Denzel integrate into it. I, I, again, it has it has that gradual, contemplative, slightly mournful feeling. Yes, it's and it's it's a really wonderful thing to watch. Yes, I thought it was absorbing as well. I liked it very much. Um, I liked the way because at the beginning, you know, you're introduced to the effects of this violence. You actually don't see it really. No, you see kind of you know very little of it. He's shot by a kid, right? Kind of the rest is really or the beginning is all. He has already done these things before you see them, right? Mm. Uh, so, so I thought kind of it was very interesting that the next time you see that is really at uh, at the restaurant. Mm. And actually, just to contradict you a little bit, I think uh, I did find he was vulnerable. Actually, okay, yeah. I mean, I you know those whole scenes where he's walking for the first time outside the house and he's maneuvering those steps, and the old lady says, "Go slowly," right? Like you think, well. And actually, I thought of that because I thought, don't tell me the fucking film is going to like assault him now and he's just going to, you know, <laughs> right? And yeah. in fact, the film doesn't do that. So he is vulnerable and you see his kind of vulnerability, right? Like, yeah, yeah, kind well, of. Well, I think I agree with that. It's, I, th- I thought you meant vulnerable in terms of were he, you know, were he to get into a fight? Um, and I suppose the reason that I think of that, I didn't think of that as vulnerable was that he was keeping himself out of it. You know, but the vulnerability, you're absolutely right in terms of like he's walking with a cane, he's walking very gingerly and slowly and yeah. taking he's those steps very frail. slowly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, let's move on a little bit to the things that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because obviously, I really hated the ending. To me, it's like too bloody sentimental. Spoilers coming up. And, and it's overly extended, right? So, you know, the film really should have ended once he got rid of the Kimura king, basically, mm. right? But then, like, you know, you need to find out what how Dakota Fanning is involved and, you know, then this whole thing with the money being sent you know, to that person, you know, and then, like, uh, you know, the celebration in the village. I mean, actually, the bit with the celebration in the village, I wouldn't have minded, you know, that much. Mm-hmm. It is kind of part of the rest of the theme of the film. But I just wonder what, you know, why did Dakota Fanning take this role? It's a worthless kind of role, entirely instrumentalized. She's given nothing to play with. And then it's overly sentimentalized by that picture at the end. I really hated it. Picture at the end. Yeah, which shows her as the daughter of... Oh, yes, the Melissa Leo yeah. character. Yeah, I... um. I, I didn't have... A, I, it didn't make me feel like revolt or anything. I do see what you mean, though. Um... I liked that the film had set up this question, which was just kind of low-lying throughout of what the hell is he doing there in the first place? I like that. And then it answers it. Yes. And it turns out that the answer is this very simple, I didn't come here to end the Kamara crime family. I came here to get back this guy's pension, which had been stolen inadvertently whatever, sure. by the by what turns out to be the Kamara crime family. Yeah. So it was only this one simple bit of vengeance that I had to get back. That they had to execute, and it turns out that you know I got into something much bigger than that. Um, I, I enjoyed liked... that. I didn't like the news beat that you've got Dakota Fanning in the hospital 
watching the end of the film be told to you by the BBC, going, the Kamara crime family, da-da-da-da-da-da, and the leader of the Kamara crime family, da-da-da, we've seen him dead. And it, the only thing I liked about that was that the, the actor playing the presenter really got that kind of BBC News cadence mm. of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Actually, I had entire problems with that because do you think if Dakota Fanning had been a bigger star, right, she would have been given a lot more to do in that because, you know, so she's bombed. You're told that, you know, there's the Camorra, they control everything. They've got the head of police of the whole of Italy under their thumb. And you think she's going to be safe in a hospital? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's absurd, right? Mm. So I think they could have had a couple of scenes out of that or of tension or of escape or yeah. given her more to do with all of that, right? Instead, no, she's just safe. Why? Because she's not worth bothering with. But I thought that's a disservice to, to the actress and to the film, actually. The thing about her being and the daughter of Melissa Leo, I found it pointless just because um, it, it obviously then makes sense of this question that she's been asking of why me? Why did you call me? But the thing is, that was never a question I was asking because Denzel Washington calls this you know secret number at the CIA, the CIA financial whatever investigations people who no one would ever be able to call in from the public, but he can because he knows the number. But I never got the impression that it had to be her specifically that he spoke to. It's just she. It's just people were answering phones, mm. and I never got that feeling of like he chose her. Well, except, maybe maybe there was dialogue. Except you're it. told at the end, right? But actually, I I really dislike that, and I dislike that because again, I think a better film would have given you different and better reasons of why Dakota Fanning. You know, because she's brilliant, because she's smart, because, you know, she's yeah. powerful or moves well or, you know, has the knowledge of how weapons work or whatever, right? Instead of just being the daughter of, right? That's yeah, but and also, why does, why does her being the daughter of this, you know, former associate um, actually make a difference? Like, if, if it was going to be something upon which her involvement was based, you know, a reason that Denzel called her, like, would it, wouldn't it be because I knew your mother and I know you're good enough to blah, 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 or I, I believe in you or whatever? It's nothing that, because he keeps it a secret. I know. It, it, it's, it's kind of out of nowhere. And the very ending, um, or the scene just before that, that party in, in the streets of Altamonte, the, um, the scene where Dakota Fanning goes to the family and gives them that money that, that Denzel's passed on. That's so back in the States. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. a scene just before. Yeah. Okay. So that scene... Um, you know, I kind of agree with you. I didn't think it was sentimentalized, though. I oh. thought it was kind of... I, I didn't like the kind of beatific smile that Dakota Fanning had on her face throughout it, which was, which I thought was a bit much. And I suppose there's the thing where the, the, the husband, whose pension he's now getting back, um, is saying, you know, you don't need to, we don't need to pack everything up. We're not going anywhere. And I can totally see, like, on paper, that's awful. I did feel it stayed on the right side of overly sentimental. Okay, it didn't. It didn't make me want to like leave the cinema or something. Mm. I just thought it was not good. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and but I think it raises kind of interesting things to me about like you, you didn't know, need it. That's the thing. You didn't need that. Scene. No, he exactly. told you this is why I was doing it. You don't need to see it. You don't need to You're see right. it, and it's just like cheap sentiment. Um, but I think the film raises kind of interesting questions, like ideological questions about what it's doing, because it's de it depicts this world in which governments are useless or corrupt or at the service of bigger financial interests, mm -hmm. right? 
you know, and it's kind of interesting, the doctor's line, it's a cancer, but it can't be cured. There's no cure. The Kamara crime family. Yeah. But, about. you know, you can have a bigger, you can kind of, that family is also an allegory because, you know, in the first film, it was like this uh, Russian mafia in the States. Yeah. Mm. And so on. So I think kind of, you know, the films depict worlds in which people aren't safe. Yeah. And they're not safe because they're larger corrupt, powerful interests at work on these communities, right? So it kind of, you know, it, it, these these communities are vulnerable, and yet the solution to the problems of this community is partly the, you know, the community coming together, but really it's about this superhero god savior. Mm. Yeah, which kind of, I don't know, there are questions around that. I also thought it was interesting that you know, the series starts in the States and then goes out of the States, right? And I also thought it was interesting that this ideal world of community and beauty and so on, you know, that Robert finds, that the equalizer finds, is outside of the States. Mm. You mentioned the film's ideological um, kind of kind of project or structure or whatever about about the, the the people with power are corrupt, or the structures in power are corrupt, mm. um, and even though there is this thing about community, there's a thing about when, for instance, when the um, brother of the guy who's just been killed, Vincent, who becomes the new villain, the, the main villain, he comes to kill Denzel Washington. He can't because the town is there. And the town starts filming him, yeah. and there's a feeling the community saves Denzel at that point because he's gonna die. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the film does have a, a, a feeling of your know, community, real people can can fight this. But as you say, what it really needs is an avenging angel mm. in the form of Denzel, who is powerful. And the thing is, he he decides right from wrong, and that should be complex. It should be. I mean, vigilantism is. <laughs> not a great thing, right? To kind of put that power into the into into the hands of one or two people to decide for themselves. I will go outside the law and make these decisions. Should be a problem. It doesn't play out that way in this film, and probably not in the other two films either. Not that no, I remember them well enough. But it's that it, he lives in a world in which good and bad are very easy. The film begin or not the film begins, but um, when Denzel is being taken to to the doctor, and he wakes up for the first time, the doctor asks him. Have I saved a good man or a bad man? Or has Gio, the Carabinieri, has he saved a good man or a bad man? The film is right away, within the first I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, planting this seed of good and bad. It's And it's as simple as that, right? There aren't these moral grey areas. Well, Deciding between good and bad is very easy, and therefore vigilantism is easy and obvious. I'm not sure about that, because... Um... The film does have a kind of a rigorous moral, yeah, like a, a rigorous sense of what is right and what is wrong. But actually, it's not the expected one. So, for example, you know, again, in the first film, you know, the victim is this prostitute, right? So, and being a prostitute doesn't make you bad. The whole beginning of the film, there's scenes in the coffee shop and so on. There's kind of like this lovely interaction between, you know, Denzel and the girl who's too young, really. Yeah. So, I mean, what's what's wrong is what the mafia is doing. Yeah. Kind of, you know, kind of people get driven to do all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons that might not 
be ideal, but that uh, the film doesn't judge. What the film does judge is, you know, that senseless murder or, yeah, brutality, really. Uh, and actually, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you think the film judges Denzel, the, the violence that Denzel no, commits? No, because he's always doing it in a defensive position. And actually, the film goes out of its way to say he warns people and he tells them what will happen and then he gives them the choice. Yeah. Right? That's kind of part of the mechanism of the hero. Um, and actually, this film is maybe much more morally Manichaean, black and white, mm. than the previous films were. I think. I think I get that feeling too. Not not that I remember how it played out so much in the others, but definitely the case here. It is very easy to tell what is right and what is wrong, mm. um, and and there aren't these these more grey areas. And that also means that basically whatever Denzel wants goes because he is right about who is good and bad, and he is taking down the bad people, and he can do it with any level of violence and torture he wishes. I know, but the film rationalizes that, or you know, by showing you many instances of the bad people being bad before actually Denzel does anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the film convinces you that yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it sells it. But it's, <laughs> but it's a problem. And I actually, I did think, I suppose my, I mean, I, I don't have a set view on it, but an interesting thing is that Denzel has to leave the U.S., to find this paradise or this place he can feel comfortable with. Mm. Yeah. This place of community and yeah, joy and possibly love again and you know, um mm. yeah, that kind of it's not available to him in the States. Yeah, so the second film had him living in I think an urban community that he was quite happy with and mm. you know, he knew the people they lived in like a apartment complex and you know, it was it was a small community of of, of neighbours and people getting on and improving things and so on and so forth. So I could also see I could also see that ultimately having become his happy place. It played out that way to an extent. But but that's not the way the films have gone. If it's you know, as we say, this is the last in the trilogy, he has found this happy place. And as you, and you're right, it's it's not in America, it's somewhere very different. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. Uh is it just an accident of the fact they wanted to shoot in Italy? <laughs> Could be. Or is it yeah. You know, but I also thought that it's, a, you know, another thing that caught my eye is, um, you know, setting it in Italy brings up considerations of, I don't know, the ancients, right? Like these people and these places have, have existed for a thousand years and, you know, you see all these statues, classical Roman statues, and, mm. you know, they've existed for thousands of years. And, you know, um, and actually, so I was wondering, how is the film going to do this violence? Is it going to be cavalier the way so many American films are, where, you know, you just shoot up the mall and you blow it up and, yeah, it means nothing, right? Mm. I What do these paintings and these statues and, yeah, kind of signify within the film? Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because... Some of them get destroyed, but there isn't like a wholesale kind of no. And know. the film almost threatens it when when he meets uh, Dakota Fanning at that church. I mean, I, I thought some of this is super. Her character in particular, some of it is super cliche because like she stood there by the wall, leaning on it in a movieish way when he approaches, and she and she says movieish lines. And I thought, even though it's a movie, you know, it it really sticks out. There's so, so much cliche in the way her character is portrayed, but. 
the 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 movieish thing that she starts off with when uh, he meets her is she talks about this this church is a thousand years old. It's amazing, you know. Instead of getting to whatever the fuck they're actually supposed to be talking about, mm. but but then like you go, oh, a thousand years old, and she's mentioned the <laughs> church. Is this church destined to be the place where the film ends and it gets completely destroyed? Mm. So I was worried. Um, but then we don't visit the church again. And actually, I think it's interesting because the film's consideration of those things is dramatized for you when the fishmonger's shop is set alight. Mm. And actually, what you get is not like money being thrown, you know, blown up in smoke, but actually these photos of memories, weddings, yeah, yeah, yeah. baptisms, the parents, yeah, so the sense of family and community. And history that's blown up in smoke. Yeah, that's what really matters. Yeah, so um, which I suppose is also what the film ultimately does with the thing about the pension is you know in having him go to retrieve a pension, he is retrieving three hundred sixty thousand dollars, but what he's saving is a a family's life and home. So there's that. Um, I thought the scene with him being filmed by the phones. mm. I I thought that was badly thought out. Okay. You know, because you can see why they did it, but it feels cheap because you know that, you know, nobody who's the head of the Camorra would ever consent to them being filmed. Because actually, being filmed, like, you know, no matter how much you own the police or whatever, as soon as that appears on television or online or whatever, yeah. your goose is cooked, Right. So I just thought that that was badly thought out. They should have done it differently. There should have been maybe some minion who has that conversation or, you know, but the head of the family would never allow that to happen. It's just inconceivable. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of, I or, believe... Or actually, once it's on film, the game is over. Yeah. Um, once he says that, it's finished. Yeah, because, I suppose, yeah, once it's on film, even though he controls the police, as we see, there's some things that you can't use a police connection to work around. You can upload that kind of onto the internet in a nanosecond. I mean, yeah. like, so I, so I thought, you know, the scene has an interesting dramatic thing, you know, though, again, I think it could have been um, visualized more dramatically, actually. You could have done more visually with that, with mm, that uh, uh, sequence. But actually, the sequence itself just didn't make sense because of you know the repercussions around it. Yeah, there are some real dumbnesses and things that you have to learn to accept, I suppose, and that is that is one of them. Um, I, I also thought that the fact that um, this woman who is answering phones for the CIA, she's obviously some analyst at the CIA, is then flown out to Sicily to be part of a squad to head to head it. I mean, that, that, I mean that, again, office. that just wasn't dramatized properly. You only need two or three bits of information to make it plausible, but yeah. you know they weren't there. They don't even give you that. Uh, but, so. I, but I do think that most of the filmmaking, you know, the, most of the effect that the filmmaking is after is achieved. The outbursts of violence are very effective and very surprising and quite shocking. And they they very quickly you move into a completely different space. You know, in that restaurant scene, Denzel is having a, a a tense kind of feeding each other out conversation with the the gang leader, and as soon as he grabs him and gets him up against the wall, you're in a different space, and it happens very quickly, and it sure. works really well, and it's and it's it's in the editing and the camera angles and and Denzel's delivery and the dialogue, it's all there. It works really well. It's very enjoyable, and Denzel is great. 
but the film is not great. No, it's not great, but it's oh. good. I like it. I mean, I really, I could recommend it easily. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about is is when he's stalking through the house um, towards the end, getting to the mm. brother, Vincent. It, I actually, I really, funnily, I'd had a feeling of like the Dark Knight from this film just briefly because you you start you start to get these outbursts of uh, you get these explode you get that one particular explosion, um, which injures uh, Dakota Fanning's character. And this is also one of the stupidities I was thinking, because I was thinking, I know that they're working with funding terrorists and terrorists are, are um, committing atrocities. And we, and we see this one, but I was also thinking like what crime family, even if it, you know, is kind of exercising this vice grip over the region that it controls is going to perpetuate this or stand for this kind of, violence on mass against the people. I thought that was kind of it was yeah. stupid. Um, but it also made me think of, because one or two of these things happen in quick succession and it made me think of the Joker in The Dark Knight and how the, the you know, his attacks on various people, on like people in power he kills all those judges and things in, in like within minutes mm. and he's orchestrated this all somehow and it made me think of like this this kind of all of a sudden, crazy outbursts of of orchestrated mass violence that you can't control, and then within a few scenes, Denzel is stalking through this house like Batman, using the shadows, attacking people. I mean, Batman doesn't kill people; so Denzel is excessive compared to him, but he's doing the same thing. He's he's going through the shadows, protecting himself and and creating fear. Well, the reason why it feels the same is because it's shot in the same way, but for different reasons. I mean, here clearly. You know, Denzel is too old to actually <laughs> jump around or throw people around. So kind of you see him stalking in the shadows and then you see the effects of what's been done. But actually, you rarely see him do it. Yeah, or, you don't, or, or it's not very much. It, it's actually, it's rather like Rambo. It's rather ambushy. He's out in the shadows. He stabs you in the neck and it's done. Yeah. It's quick. Um, but again, it, it does play out as it's, it's efficient. It's the right way to kill these people. He doesn't want a big fight. He, he's using the darkness and his skills to his advantage. Mm. Um, and I... I did ultimately like how it um, descended or maybe ascended into Vincent being terrified. You know, when he's in the scene and he, and he just starts shooting in a circle, that's where he shoots all those statues um, because he is terrified by what could be out there. Um, again, that's, that's very Batman-ish because that's how Batman operates. Although I did think that if the film had been selling that idea a little harder, of Robert generating fear rather than just murdering everyone who deserves to die. There's the one murder he, or it's actually three murders he commits where the three people are sat around a table and the lights go off and one of them leaves the table to look outside. He sees nothing. And when he comes back in, he's murdered and the two other guys are shot quite quickly. Mm. And I, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if that scene had been done where he walks out? And I thought this was going to happen. He walks outside and when he walks back, he sees that the other two are dead already. And it's happened silently. And with no, You know what I mean? And then he gets killed. I, I thought that would have been very cool. But maybe, but it was very it. good the way it was done. I, I didn't know. have any problem with it. I just think if Antoine yeah. Fuqua had called me, you know, maybe you know, I could change things for him. Yeah, but for the better? <laughs> <laughs> well, these uh, films are normally successful. They all cost between something 60 to $70 million each. And the first he made... Well, cheap-ish. It's still good money, 60 to 70 million. For this kind of film, that's kind of... But, um, 
but they made 190 a piece the first two. Um, I don't know what this one will do, but I think it's it costs 17. It's already made 70. Yeah, yeah. So I think it will make it'll it 20. Be a, it'll be a big hit. Which which um, is also the, the the question of then why are you finishing the series? There's appetite for this, and these are good. I would see more of them. Yeah. Well, there might not be appetite with uh, Denzel to do more. Maybe. Um, and on that note, I mean, the last thing I want to point out is how unusual it is in an action film like this with kind of slightly superheroish undertones. Under, oh, yeah, undertones. Mm-hmm. Because you get, the, you get the sense that Denzel or Robert is Asperger-y. Yeah, he's got... He's always putting his tea in the same way. He's very precise about how he does things. And that actually, that is his superpower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that he pays attention yeah, to those things and mm. he's careful and precise and he measures distances and, yeah. So, which I think is an interesting notion on its own. Yeah, that kind of, uh, you know, that being neurodiverse is actually the, his superpower. He's like Rain uh, Man. Uh, <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> now you can do your opera imitation. Uh, but the other thing, so what I started out to say is that the film doesn't sexualize anyone. No. Yeah, and so and usually in a superhero film or a noir film or an action film, you know, either, you know, the male star's body is really sexualized and it's on display and whatever, or, you know, the love interest body is like, uh, mm-hmm. the love interest is on display and she's beautiful and glamorous and whatever. And in distress. Yeah. This film has none of that. You know, Dakota Fanning is not glamorized or sexualized and neither is uh, Denzel and neither is Denzel's love interest in the film. The you know, she's obviously a very kind of pretty woman and, mm. you know, you can see the attraction between them and so on, mm. you know, but you don't have a kind of a, a camera moving up her body or, no, you know, uh, uh, her wearing a bikini or anything like that, which I think is very interesting and unusual. With regards to the idea that uh, Dental's character might be on the spectrum slightly or maybe has some OCD issue as well. Yeah, he clearly does. Something along those lines. Um there's a, there's also the thing about the watch, him timing things, and I can't. It, it must have been explained in the first one, but I can't remember what it was at all. To do this thing of he will start his what he'll say to himself like fifteen seconds and start the watch, and then within fifteen seconds everybody's dead. And he that's because he warns them. He's like a moral person. He tells them, if you don't do this in nine seconds, it will be no. He, that, he does do that. Yeah, he no, he does. He does that at one point in this. He says to the guy. You've got you've got nine seconds to decide your fate, but the rest of the time, and I remember this quite certainly from the first one. We had that, and I think it might have been in the trailer. There was a real selling point. There's that room full of baddies, and he says to himself something like twenty seconds, and then he starts his. And it's just to himself. He's not warning them. You've got twenty seconds to change your mind. Yeah. He just he's he's there's some internal clock thing going on. Yeah, yeah. He's figured out because he'll he'll say. That gun is like one meter away and it's pointing in the wrong direction. Like, yeah, so it's about his so, intelligence and planning and foresight. Yeah, and, so and his attention to those things. Um, but the film doesn't go out of its way to, to reintroduce that as a concept. It just kind of keeps doing it. Well, but no, I think the film is very good because it relates all of those things. So him always putting the napkin in the right place and you know the fork has to be absolutely here, the spoon has to be there and whatever is then related to you know his nine seconds and his this mm-hmm. and his knowledge of you know how much pain you're going to have in three seconds if he puts his finger there i just find it kind of silly because um 
it's not it's not something useful. When he talks about when he's got the guys right at the start of the film and he says, this guy's gun is far too close to me and that's going to end very badly for him. He's obviously thought ahead about what he's going to do. He plans it out. It happens very quickly. But, but his timing thing is just for him. And um, I don't know why he needs it. Well, I like it. The audience likes it. Well, if they do, I mean, you can't speak for the whole audience. Well, the one thing I don't like, which I think is heading in this direction, is his little goofy mouth thing that he keeps on doing. He kind of bites his lip, which does have a kind of Rain Man feel to it, of like a kind of personal tick, mm. you know. But I just don't like the way it looks. I don't think I, it comes across to me as very actory, you know, like like having a lisp or something. It's like here's the thing that an actor does to have a character. I'll bite my lip in a weird way. Well, don't but like it. Again, I don't mind that. I, I think all of those things are really interconnected. And really kind of uh, woven through in really interesting ways throughout the film. So they add up to something, mm. you know. And actually, if what they add up to is that, you know, neurodiversity is a superpower for this guy, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, no, that's good. I just think you can do it without a, a lip biting. Well, you know. So um, any last thing you want to say? I liked it, right? So even though we've kind of come up with, with problems with it here and there, I really liked it. Um and I, and I find it really easy to recommend. It's a really, it's a really absorbing film to watch. Um, everything that we've come up with as a flaw is, for the most part, easily overlooked. You know, the, the only thing that I think is a flaw that actually comes across as a flaw while you're watching the film is that it doesn't look as good as it could. Yeah. It could look brighter. It could look more interesting. It could have stronger use of color. They're embracing this this gunmetal grey dull look, and it really doesn't work. Um, or maybe I've just like got tired of it. But I think it looks worse than Antoine Fuqua's other films, which are films I really like, and I like the way they look normally. Not here, but apart from that, I really, I mean, I really like it. Everything that sh everything that should be a problem. There was thing about this perfect human who can decide right from wrong for you and all this should be a massive ideological problem, but he doesn't play out as that. I just like yeah. it. It's a very enjoyable film to see. Um, so thank you very much for listening we're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts Audible Google Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud and YouTube uh, on social media we're on uh, Facebook our Twitter is at eavesdrop movies we're also on Blue Sky now if you have that we are eavesdropping.bsky.social I think is the, the handle um, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com thank you very much bye bye <laughs>